0: If you're unfamiliar with uh, how we do things here, when we're going to be sharing the Lord's table, and in a short while, we will be doing that, going to share the Lord's table together, Um, we like to become a little bit less formal. And uh, partly in my thinking behind this, honestly, is is a reminder that rather rather than my just broadcasting something out to you, as a reminder then at first night when they partook of the Lord's table how intimate Jesus was with those men how much he desired their fellowship and for them to grasp what he was teaching and uh, there was just a closeness that they shared as he's ministering to them for the last time and so we kind of settled it down we, don't, we won't see an outline in the bulletin it's what we, I've just called for years now just table talk And that is, let's just think about a few things before we come to the Lord's table. Um, I've specifically kept things off the screen this time. Uh, Just hoping, and the desire is that just by the ear gate, and if you do want to open a Bible, I'm going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. If you decide, well, I want to follow someone, there should be a Bible in the pew in front of you. If you didn't bring one with you, feel free to to pull that out. But um, I'm going to just read a... Significant passage, and then we're going to have a fair, share a few thoughts on that, and I trust it will prepare us for our time around the Lord's table. If I could say this at the outset, and I will say it again, um, holiness in the book of Peter, 1 Peter is a very significant theme that runs throughout the book. The people are uh, suffering significantly, uh, suffering under persecution, and uh, he is writing to a people going through very difficult times to say, hey, here, here's the deal. <laughs> Regardless of the circumstances, walk in holiness. Let your, lights, let your lives count for the kingdom and uh, be patient under the suffering which you are, you are undergoing, but don't let it drive you away from the question of Holy lives, lives committed to living for the kingdom. So that being the case, picking up after his greeting in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he writes this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away Reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. And this is what I just mentioned as he references them. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what, or what manner of time, the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. That little phrase always jumps out at me. The angels are watching this redemption that is unfolding Therefore, verse 13, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without flesh and without blemish and without spot." He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Central to his exhortation, I have mentioned, is that of holiness. Calling us to live lives that are separate from the world, lives that are clearly set apart, lives that clearly are those committed to living for God who is in heaven, to living for the kingdom of light. And he said in verse 13, he set it out as, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind rest, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Obedient children, not conforming to former lusts, you is holy you also be holy he says that we are to conduct ourselves throughout the time of our stay here in fear with that sense of who it is we are living before who has worked in our lives and then he finishes this section by referencing the so that your faith and hope are in god that's the source of where we're living from We're drawing upon the things of God. We're drawing upon his character, his power, uh, the light of his kingdom, the power of his word. All of these things is is what we stand upon, is what we decide that this is why we live. This is what we live for. So holiness is central to his exhortation. Christ is foundational. Holiness is central. Live lives, regardless of your circumstances, that honor God. Why? (laughs) Because you're living lives built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. And he brings that forth. I I, I see a a couple of elements in how we might think about it. And it's one that, again, always intrigues me. And you guys might be tired of hearing it from me. And I I hope it doesn't weary, weary you. But Christ is foundational. First of all, you can't miss in this passage chronologically because he's helping us to understand this kingdom that we live for. We live it in a particular point in time for an eternal purpose of honoring God. But as we live it, we live it here, but there were those living it before and they had certain understandings and there are going to be those who come after us and there are things to happen after us that the whole understanding of, this, of God's kingdom can't be relegated to the point in which we experience it. And I believe he's trying to help us understand how big this thing really is that has gotten hold of our lives so he says in, in verse 10, Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. The prophets were from the Old Testament time. Who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. This is early New Testament time. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So we have this Old Testament corpus of material that describes for us Christ both as the suffering servant and as the victorious king, and they're trying to put it together. They couldn't get a full handle on it. To themselves under the Old Covenant, but to us... These early on in the new covenant, they were ministering the things in which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Do you see the chronology as to what it is we're dealing with? He, he points out this reference of a time frame. And in verse 20, he, in referencing Christ, who is foundational, he says, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you. So he says, before creation even happened, Christ had been foreordained, foreknown, predetermined that he would come and he would accomplish what he has accomplished on our behalf. The Old Testament saints, they heard about it, they hadn't experienced it yet, but now We live in a time, as New Testament saints, when we know Christ has come, has fulfilled that. And what they were writing about, now we get to see in much greater clarity. But there's one other element of chronologically what it is we have foundationed in Jesus Christ for us. When he references an inheritance... And he says at the end of verse 4, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So this thing in which we live, this kingdom life, also has an element which has not been been fully understood, fully uh, uh, comprehended, fully lived and experienced until Christ at the end, brings all things together in the great consummation. So we have eternity past, the Old Testament saints, New Testament saints who are experiencing it now, looking ahead to what is uh, before us in this inheritance that is yet to be revealed. And three times in this passage, he references at the revelation of Jesus Christ, not his first coming, but his second coming. And so there's this thing with which we live that it's magnificent in its presence import and it will have its fullness uh, yet to come, all in Christ. So Christ is foundational. He's the reason that we can embrace this exhortation to holiness because we're living lives that are foundationed upon. He says, rest your hope fully upon the grace of, that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We know God's work is still continuing, and he will do something amazing. So first of all, when we think about Christ foundationally from this passage, I I, I see chronologically, understand we're a point in time in this much bigger thing. But then also it just strikes me, there's a few places here where comparatively or qualitatively, he makes some interesting statements The one is our, uh, our, actually our memory verse for today in verse 18. Knowing that, he exhorted us to conduct our lives in holiness, in fear. Knowing that, verse 18, you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. From your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish. without spot isn't that interesting because within that little within that little statement of reminding us what it is that brought this this magnificent kingdom light to bear upon us this foundational thing in Jesus Christ he makes three qualitative statements you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold? Isn't that interesting? There's earlier he had told us, he had referenced um, again this question of that the genuineness of your faith having much more pres- being much more precious than gold that perishes. What is it we tend to value highly? What is it we go, man, if I had enough of that, right? Just read a, an article um, about they've discovered a, uh, a comet somewhere out in space, amazing stuff that they're able to discover. And it's got a lot of gold on it. And they said if they could harvest the gold from this comet, it would crash the world markets because it's just so much gold that is there. Gold would become cheap, and everything is based on gold. <laughs> and it would, it would crash. I don't know it's like $15 trillion worth of gold, they estimate, in this comet. So... Gold is the thing that we tend to value, as well as silver and platinum. We all know we've got stuff like that. We go, ooh, it's gold. You know, we, we make our wedding rings out of things that are, you know, we consider valuable. And he says, huh, wait, comparatively, qualitatively, it's corruptible. It's going to perish. That's not what we value most. He goes on to say that we were redeemed from your aimless conduct. And there's something about the lives we were living. We've been redeemed into this new life, into this new kingdom where we're seeking to walk in holiness, live in obedience to God, find the the things that he would have for us that bring such great joy and blessing and fullness and goodness to our lives. And he says that that is in contrast to that old life that you were living, and it was aimless can you do you remember the days when you were aimless? I sure do. I sure remember the days I you know I wouldn't have chosen aimless. I would have, for me, I'd have just chosen clueless. But those days were there, weren't they? Prior to coming to Jesus Christ and allowing him to begin to transform us and do that work and let his word bear fruit in our lives. We were just aimless. We really didn't know what we were going for, even if we thought we did. Maybe we thought, you know what, hey, I know what I'm going for. I'm going to build my wealth. I'm going to make, stake my place in life. I'm going to have something, to be somebody, right? And where does that all go? Oh, guess what? It's corruptible. It perishes. It's all gone in a heartbeat. So what did I went after that? Oh, I really did kind of aim at nothing, didn't I? Because it came to nothing if that's all I got. And he says, you were redeemed Purchased out of the marketplace of sin, you were redeemed from your aimless conduct, but not with perishable gold and corruptible gold and silver. It is something else. Third qualitative statement, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot or blemish. The word precious in English, it, it, one of the definitions for precious in English And isn't that magnificent? What is it that that causes things to be increasing in value? If they harvest the gold from that comet, gold loses value. Why? Because all of a sudden there's a ton of it. And it's common. The more rare things are, the more value we place on them. The precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish and without spot. That, of course, takes us back to the Old Covenant. We're reminded of, uh, of the night of the Passover when they were instructed, take a lamb from among your flock, flock one without blemish, one without spot. Okay, that was a picture of what Christ uh, would become, of who, what he would do. He would ultimately bear the sacrifice. Remember, they put the blood on the door of this spotless lamb so that when judgment came, the death angel would pass over that house and the firstborn would not die. Well, that was a very real historical event that took place, but it was picturing something far greater than that. It was picturing the one who had come, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, who in the fullness of time for known by God now has come and fulfilled that imagery with his own precious blood, which was sinless. And he, of course, was the only one who could do that. He was the only one. And I believe, I believe if I'm not mistaken, um, our, our scripture from today, our catechismal statement referenced Christ as both God and man. He's the one who came to come both. So that he alone, he alone could accomplish what it is that needed to be accomplished. And that's why his blood is precious. And in being precious, in being more significant than silver or gold, in being able to reorient our aimless lives, because his is the only life and body and blood that could be broken and poured out for us. It is ultimate in value to us. If, as believers, we are embracing a biblical worldview, we understand that there is something far greater than any other wealth in the world, it is knowing Jesus Christ, knowing that through his blood, we have this, this inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and it does not fade away, reserved in heaven for us, waiting for the revelation of Christ. Again, he's foundational to what will happen. How magnificent is that? Christ alone is able to do that. Christ alone is able to be that lamb without blood. We're exhorted to live lives separated unto the kingdom. Absolutely, but it's foundationed upon Jesus Christ, who came in a specific time and is fulfilling kingdom promises. That's chronologically, who comparatively cannot be compared to anything. He is singular in his magnificence and in his beauty. And I just wonder, I just wonder about this statement from Luke. And Luke said this in chapter 22 as records this for us as far as, as, far as the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he, that is Christ, said to them, this is at, at the Last Supper, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. You wonder, do you, I wonder. Join me in wondering, contemplating. As he was there in that moment in time, at that time, because this thing is moving through time. At that moment in time, I believe he wanted his his disciples to grasp the significance of what it was is about to unfold before them. How magnificent both the sufferings and the glories to follow. What amazing import that they were going to watch personally in just a matter of ours and so he says with fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer and he connects with them he gets them around the table and he lays out before them the last instructions that he wants to give them before he before he goes to the cross It's just magnificent truth friends that we have the privilege of understanding, of reflecting upon as those who have received it, and of letting it change us, of letting it move us towards the holiness to which, to which we're called. What a wonderful and wonderful privilege that is that we have. You know, In chapter two, he, he referenced Christ's preciousness as the cornerstone. But he said, He's rejected by those who don't get it. But to us, he is precious, a living cornerstone. How magnificent is that? Because we are part of that redemptive work, if indeed, if indeed, we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. So as we come to the table, hopefully we've had some things worth our contemplating this morning. And now as we gather at the table, We invite anyone who knows Christ in a personal way. If you have understood, yes, I am a sinner. Yes, Christ died for me. Yes, I have placed my faith in him. We invite you to partake of the elements. You share them with us. If you have said, I know the Bible teaches all of that, but I have not responded to it. I have not received that. Then may I encourage you, let the elements pass. No one will judge you. Let the elements pass and reflect upon why. Why have I rejected this? Why would I reject that which is most precious in the entire universe and in all of time, the blood of Jesus Christ on my behalf? And allow God's Spirit to answer that question for you. And maybe today would be the day before the service is done. You say, you know, I I don't want to reject this anymore. I need to embrace this. But until then, please... um, Let the elements pass. So, we want to share in the Lord's table right now, we want to share this memorial of the most magnificent event in all of history.